Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I am Michael Kingswood, retired naval officer, Christian, dad, and writer extraordinaire. I mostly focus on science fiction and fantasy, but I've been known to write just about everything under the sun, including the occasional romance. The purpose of this podcast is to share my stories with you, the reading slash listening public. So sit back and relax, because I'm going to tell you the story. Hey friends, I'm Michael Kingswood. It's story time. And it's story Saturday. And I'm running a little bit behind, so we'll just get straight on into it. This is story number 36 from Stories from the Great Challenge. An awesome uh, writing adventure that I partook in a year and a half, two years ago, where I was going to write a story a week for a year. And I crushed it. Did 54 stories instead of 52. and But 52 of them are in this collection. This is number 36. It's called Shellshock. Um, it's a departure from my normal science fiction fantasy kind of thing. It's not exactly a cheerful story. It's about a soldier who gets Shellshock. We'll just get to it. I wrote it. I'm reading it. Uh, not very happy story, but hopefully you'll enjoy it anyway. I'll talk to you on the other side. The shell landed three feet away from me. I was crouched really pressed prone into the dirt with my hands thrown over my head in my pitiful attempt at a foxhole, but we had so little time to get on station and then prepare to repel the incoming attack that I'd only been able to dig maybe two feet down into the earth, and never mind putting any logs or other overhead cover in place. So when the bombardment started, I did like the rest of my platoon, hunkered down and covered my vital areas, and prayed that random mischance would treat me well. Lying there with my nose full of the earth, practically tasting the worms and crawlies that made their home deep into the soil that was supposed to be used to grow crops, listening to the crump of artillery and mortar shells exploding all around me, feeling the concussion of their detonations through every bit of my intestines as the shock waves passed over me, and trying not to listen to my friend's agony as first one, then another, and then a dozen or more, within ear's reach, found their hastily and insufficient shelters no protection against the enemy's assault, I couldn't muster even the courage to lift my head. I just lay there, praying wordlessly, terror driving me to reach out to the divine, despite not having any notion of what I would say to him if he even deigned to answer. Time seemed to stand still, even the pounding of my heart in my ears, somehow louder than the impacting artillery and the screams all around me, seemed just a continuous rhythm, unconnected to anything except its own existence. It could have been a minute, an hour, even a day since the assault began. Then the shell landed. I felt its impact as much as I heard it, an almost wet thud into the earth in front of me that shuddered through my body like a hammer blow. I hadn't been able to raise my head before, but hearing and feeling that impact so close, I couldn't not look up. The long, aerodynamic shape of the instrument of death just in front of me, its tip buried into the earth that I had so recently tried in vain to craft into a shelter, seemed to laugh at me as I looked at it, wide-eyed in horror as I waited for the explosion that would send me into eternity to learn whether what they told us in church was true or just a lie to make us feel better about our limited time drawing breath. But it didn't go off. I don't know how long I lay there staring at it, expecting it to explode sometime within my next breath. I heard the shouts around me as the barrage lit out and the enemy closed to engage with infantry, and all around me the counter-roars of my comrades as they rose from their meager defenses to meet the attack and throw it back, again and again. 
It all washed over me, and I knew I should get up to join my brothers in their struggle. But the shape, the deadly, entrancing shape, in front of me would not let me out of its spell. Sometime later, after all the sound and heat and sweat and terror and joy of battle had faded, I felt a hand on my shoulder. The touch roused me with a violent jerk, and I heard a voice say, You okay, buddy? Then I screamed, and I didn't stop for a long, long time. A doctor called it traumatic stress, but everyone else called it shell shock. No one ever said anything to me about it. No one gave me any shit. But when the time came for my unit to receive its commendation for gallantry, having single-handedly repelled the enemy's main assault against all odds, when the president herself got up behind a lectern and praised us, and then general officers walked down the line to pin the unit commendation on each and every one of our breasts, when they came to me, I wanted to scream and run, refuse the honor that I knew I hadn't earned. Everyone else had fought, I hadn't. I had just lied there, looking at death, and... Had I welcomed it? I couldn't remember now, but I hadn't pitched in. I should have laughed in the general's face as he congratulated me, told him that I'm a coward, and then left the ranks of better men than me on all sides. But when the time came, I remained silent, didn't respond to the general's praise. Let him pin the medal on my chest. Then I went back to drink beers with the other surviving members of my platoon that night. And no one said a word against me. But I knew they were all thinking it. How could they not? Honorable discharge and a disability rating. A pretty good one, and then I was out. Back to normal life. Back home. But home wasn't home anymore. Mom put on too many kids' gloves, and Dad... No one in my platoon ever looked askance at me or openly thought ill of me, but he did. He denied it, of course, but a good face on it. But always I could see the judgment, the disappointment, the self-incrimination. His thoughts reverberated through the ether between us. My son is a coward. What did I do wrong? Echoing my own, but more gently, if only he knew. Time passed some little bit, more or less, I paid attention to. Then I was gone from them again and feeling the relief of being out from under the smothering and his disapproval. But then, where was I? One day, I looked up at unfamiliar buildings, stretching up into the sky all around me, and the question lanced through my brain, loudly enough that it broke my focus on the blessed aerodynamics I'd met all those unknown days or minutes before in the foxhole that wasn't. Uncertainty forced the shell from my mind, breaking my meditation on its mystery for a full afternoon as I wandered. Long, namelessly I walked, through thronging crowds that parted before me without effort. Part of me noticed their looks of discomfort or pity or alarm as I drew near and they saw my state, smelled it, and hurried to give me easy passage. I thought to thank them, but just as quickly put that out of my head. Might as well thank the shell for not exploding. But that was just random chance, and anyway, why should I be thankful that it didn't do its job? A different sort of noise broke through my wandering thoughts and brought me back to focus. I realized I was still in the city, which city I didn't know, where the crowds that had parted so easily in front of me were thinner now, almost non-existent. The shadows were growing longer, and I realized the sun was nearing its rest, looked over my shoulder, and saw the orange-red glow between two skyscrapers to confirm it. Then I noted the dilapidated storefronts on either side of the street, every third one boarded up, out of business and the furtive looks from the people I was passing, those sitting on the porch steps in front of the apartment houses. This was a bad part of town. But I could have known that from the noise that broke me out of my reverie. 
with even without seeing the surroundings. A sharp crack, loud and quick, that lanced through the deepening gloom and into my ears like a javelin hurled by Hercules. It brought me up short, made me come up to my full height, every hair on my body seeming to stand on end as a rush of adrenaline poured into my bloodstream. I knew that sound. I had heard more thousands of its repetitions on the fighting lines than I would probably ever hear again in a dozen lifetimes, a firearm being discharged somewhere ahead and to the left. The sound seemed to echo all around me as my brain analyzed it, seemingly wrote. Small caliber, 38, 9mm, pissant attempt at suppressing it, so not a professional behind the trigger. It wasn't something I needed to worry about, except that two more cracks pierced the growing gloom of the evening. Larger bullets this time in rapid succession, and the calculations I had been making without intending it fled before the realization of what was going on. One side was firing, the other returning fire, from the alleyway half a block up. I saw the reflections of the muzzle flashes, even though I couldn't see the combatants. And just as with the shell on the battlefield, I found myself entranced by those flashes. I could not look away from them, could not perceive anything but their perfect majesty as they brought on the eternal, and I walked toward them. The cacophony of pops grew louder as I approached, their staccato rhythm growing more intense, and their concussions beating into my torso all the more deeply the closer I got. Before long, they were no longer little pissant handguns, but well-charged rifle rounds being expended between enemies. I heard screams and shouts and saw shapes flooding past me, fleeing to battle. Then I saw the faces of my platoon mates, brave men and hardy, but this conflagration was beyond even them, and they fled before it. But for some reason, I could not. The concussions of the firearms echoed the thumping of my heart, and as I rounded the corner from whence they came, I knew this was the battle that I had been born to fight. This was the reason the shell had not gone off. There was a man in front of me, crouched behind a trash bin that had been pulled out from the alley wall. He was dressed in civilian attire, but from his coloration and accent, I knew he was not of my country. He was the enemy, who had tried to invade before, but whom my friends and brothers had repulsed while I just sat inert. Not today. His back was to me. He had his weapon up in one hand, gripping it like he'd never been trained in firearms before, rattling off rounds aimlessly down the alley toward his foes. My countryman. His neck snapped easily, and then I had his weapon. Magazine half empty, but he had a second one, which I palmed before moving forward. He had an ally who was just looking in my direction, his eyes growing wide with surprise when I gunned him down. A quick scan showed no others, except for my countrymen at the end of the alley. Standing up straight, I walked toward them, a greeting on my lips. A hail of bullets was their response. Betrayal. Betrayal most foul. I saw only red from fury, heard only my primal scream as I took their fire and returned it, and then, finally, charged into the fray. I bested six of the enemy, single-handedly. But there was no presidential commendation, no general pinning a medal on my chest. There was only flashing blue and white lights and then a small room in a cage. I railed against the cage bars at first, but after some time, who knows how much, a man in black robes and a bench above me said some things. The things he said were important, I knew they were, but they sounded only like muffled reports. His bench was lofty and well made, but I only saw the timbers that I could have dearly used for my foxhole that day so I could have aided my brothers with them, instead of redeeming myself later, where they couldn't even see or hear of it. After the black-robed man spoke, the cage became a different room, more brightly lit with soft walls and a door with a window. 
much more comfortable, more comfortable than any place I'd slept in. Time meant nothing, so I didn't bother to compute it. As I curled up on the soft floor of that new place and looked up at the window, I saw a pair of eyes staring back at me, blue with a thinning crown of red blonde and buried in a round face. I flashed a Benny for the next foxhole over, heard his screams as the shells fell around him, then heard them cut off in a rasping gurgle. It was Benny looking in at me. I knew it immediately, and I knew this wasn't a place of comfort at all. This was hell, and I was its newest inhabitant. The half-dozen I'd taken hadn't been enough to make up for my lapse before. There might never be enough to make it up to Benny and the others. The accusation in his eyes made that clear. But maybe, just maybe, if I'd work hard enough, I could make it. I'd just have to get out of this place first. Right, so I told you it wasn't a happy story, and it's not. Um, I don't remember what prompted me to write this one. Um, it's one of those things that came out. Thankfully, it's short, but uh, I don't want to belabor the point. This is the sort of thing that sometimes happens, and it's unfortunate, tragic. Um, for a while there, the whole PTSD thing was pissed me off because a whole lot of people were talking about veterans as this every veteran is PTSD. It's a widespread thing. Everything. And it struck me as a way of appearing to care but using that as a means of silencing opinions from veterans that they didn't want to hear. Oh, you have PTSD. So, you know. Oh, yeah. Kind of like that guy. He's a veteran. He has PTSD. Things like that. I know that's not how really universally what that discussion was, but for a couple for a couple of years there, that's all you ever heard about when you heard a veteran. It's like, okay, it happens and it's unfortunate, but it's a very it's a small minority of folks who really get get it. not that not that it's not a real thing. And now those folks who are affected by it don't need help, I and mean, that's for sure. But uh, it was a weird reaction I had to <laughs> to to that. Back when it was all the the hoop the the heyday about it a few years ago, um, yeah, I mean, and maybe that's <laughs> maybe the, maybe the hoop laws what drove it. I don't remember why I wrote this, but it turned out pretty well, I think. Hopefully, you uh, enjoyed it too, or at least found it to be a good story. And it's not an enjoyable topic, but uh, is what it is. Uh, next week will be a little more enjoyable. Next week is. In terms of, it's a more fun story. Uh, story number thirty-seven. It's called the Greenhorn Tree, and it's a fantasy quest for a magical cure. And so, that's so that'll be a little more, little more of my normal kind of yeah, yeah, fun adventure kind of thing that I like to do. Of course, I do actually I do a lot of stuff that's not just fun adventures, but you know what I mean. It'll be a little more lighter topic uh so come back for that next saturday that'll be fun uh we're continuing to do war warship wednesday war ship not warship church warship naval wednesday uh this week we talked about a soviet mishap during the cold war next week i haven't decided what we're going to talk about but we'll do in the stream of that on wednesday um do some other streams during the week uh schedule is a little up for grabs because we'll be getting ready for uh our Christmas trip 
uh, take the kids back east to see the grandparents at the uh, end of next week. So I haven't determined if we'll be uh, continuing the Worship Wednesday and Story Saturday for the week after Christmas week or not. Uh, the To be determined, I'll let you know. But uh, probably won't be too, doing too much streaming. But we will, of course, have our Story Saturday and Worship Wednesday things for next week so that'll be good so come back and we'll do that if you haven't yet gone to michaelkingswood.com and signed up for my mail list so you could find out about deals and new releases you really should if you haven't gone to michaelkingswood.com slash store and bought every book that i've written or at least some of them you really should too if you've come here at least if you come here more than once and you like what I'm doing here and you haven't yet subscribed to this channel, whether it's YouTube or Rumble or a podcast channel or whatever, you need to do that. And you need to hit the likes buttons and tell everybody else about it and buy books, buy lots of books. That's the reason for this. Yeah, it's fun to do this whole thing. It's fun to read stories. But really, this is a grift to get you to like my stuff so you will come and buy books so I can get money. So do that. You can, of course, go to Amazon and Barnes Noble and Apple and all the other places. I get more money if you come straight to my site, um, my business's site, rather. You know what I mean. MichaelKingswood.com slash store. The link there is beneath my head. So go do that. That'll be great. You'll be glad you did. The other 52 stories from the challenge are right here. And, of course, you can sit and you can get them from the site. You can, of course, sit around waiting for weeks to get through them all and not send your favorite author money but what kind of a what kind of a deal is that I mean, come on <laughs> anyway um hope you enjoyed this i will talk to you again until then don't do anything i wouldn't do thanks for listening to Storytime with michael kingswood for information on my books visit michaelkingswood.com or visit my web store at ssnstorytelling.com my books are all available through all the various e-tailers, but buying direct from me nuts me the most profit. For information on new releases and other special deals in the future, sign up for my newsletter on my website. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyrighted Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music is copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved.